I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Well, it's always been my nature to take chances, my right hand drawing back while my left hand advances, where the current is strong and the monkey dances to the tune of a concertina, blood drying in my yellow hair as I go from shore to shore. I know what it is that has drawn me to your door. But whatever could it be makes me think you've seen me before. Angelina. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Gelling. And joining us this week to talk about Angelina, an outtake from 1981's Shot of Love, is fellow Bobcat David Constable. Hi, David. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing the show. No worries. No, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So, as we said, we're going to talk about Angelina, and there's a lot to say about this very interesting song. But before sure. before we get to the song, you know, David, you know what's coming. How did you become a fan of Bob Dylan? Well, um, I have my mum to thank for that. I guess I was about 13 years old. I was in um, a caravan in the north of England. It was pretty dark and rainy. And my mum was with her partner and uh, his four kids. And they decided to uh, venture out to this little sort of uh, local on-site caravan clubhouse nearby. And that wasn't really for me. So I I stayed in and my mum just said to me, hey, we'll put some music on. And I thought, oh, my mum's music. Here we go. (laughs) And she said, uh, well, do you want to hear a song about a boxer, a gangster or a natural disaster? And I said, okay, uh, a boxer. So she, so she paid one about a boxer. And I thought, that sounds pretty good. Hey, mum, let's do the gangster. So she praised that. And I thought, okay, we'll, we'll do the next one. And I thought, this is quite good. And she said, yeah, it's Bob Dylan. She said, it's Desire. This is my favorite album. Hey, should we listen again and read through the lyrics? I said, sure, why not? And, uh, and that was my introduction. My goodness. So... That kind, of, that kind of feels like your mom was waiting for that moment to introduce you to it, you know? Yeah. And she didn't, she did, that, that doesn't seem like on the spur of the moment. It felt like she had that album in her metaphorical yeah. back pocket. She was waiting for the right moment to spring it on. For years, maybe, she'd been carrying it around. I don't recall it being played in the car on the journey up there. Um, but yeah, I guess she just grabbed her moment and, and obviously I'm grateful she did. I love the way that she framed it. A, you yeah. want to hear a song about a boxer? Do you want to hear a song about a gang? Like, by kind of telling you what the song's about, you know, sort right. of before you ever hear it. That's real. That's a really yeah. neat way of presenting it to a child because yeah, that's kind I of a great way to do it. it. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was planned and pre-thought out. I, I don't really know. I'd have to ask her, but I remember specifically it was the boxer first. And I guess she was sort of playing to my young sort of 13 year old sort of, you know, sport mad um loves and and of course the gangster i thought oh yeah this could be interesting um well i know you have your own thoughts about joey but um <laughs> i was about to was say you, be, you became a fan even though joey was the second song you'd ever heard of bob dylan that's that's i know right and still i asked for more <laughs> <laughs> so okay I, at that young of an age what was it about do you can you remember what was it about bob i mean did that start did that start it off for you? Did you go and pursue more Dylan songs at, after that or ask your mom for more? Yeah, I did. I guess, I guess it took a little while, but actually, strangely, um, I had already seen him prior to hearing that. Um, I don't have much memory of this, but 
my dad um my parents were separated so i guess they sort of used the opportunity to maybe try and introduce me to bob uh, who could be the first but i guess i was about nine years old and i went to north london to an irish festival called the flay or the flower um and the pogues were there and van morrison was there and bob dylan was there wow um, this is around 93 i don't remember it uh too well but um obviously listening to desire i had this familiarity with it uh and then a couple of years passed i got into a musician from the uk called paul weller who was in the jam sure um he got you know he was citing people like ray davis from the kinks i got into them he was citing people like bruce springsteen who was citing people like bob dylan and i just kind of backtracked through there um and the more I listened from that, around about that era, everyone was just uh, just talking about Bob. He was popping up all the time. And um, a couple of years passed, I went to university in the States. Um, an English boy at 18 moved to Kansas City. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty strange. Uh, not, not many foreign people uh, in Missouri, but uh, that, that taught me a lot. And then in 2005, I went to see him in Chicago. And that really, you know, seeing him in the room, um, understanding, seeing the documentaries, understanding what he meant to people, um, just seeing this guy in the same room. And there were all kinds of ages there. I mean, that, that's mm -hmm. something I really remember. And just thinking, wow, you know, he's here. He's sweating. He's talking. He's singing in <laughs> front of me. Um, yeah. And then I just became uh, addicted, some would say. <laughs> Does do those songs, the Desire songs and that album, does that kind of remain still your favorite because that was the introduction or have you found other things that you love just as much? It's not my favorite anymore. I think, I think I'll always have a soft spot for it. I think, I still think Desire is up there, um, but there's, there's so much to choose from, you mm -hmm. know, album wise. I, 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 you know, I really think Rough and Rowdy Ways is probably one of my maybe top, top five. Mm -hmm. Um, Desire, possibly, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound boring, but for me, blood on the tracks is tough to beat. <laughs> and um, there's a reason why everyone says it's their favorite because it's it's superb. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's phenomenal, and I'm actually a fan of Jacob Dylan. And when I hear, you know, he says that quote about, you know, that was my parents arguing. You know, that's what mm. he hears. And as sad as that is, I think, yeah, but it's so great. <laughs> And, and the songs, they still pop up on, you know, the end of credits or on the radio or, you know, I see lyrics being up for auction. I just think, God, this, this is so good. This is so good. <laughs> well, that's good that you enjoyed the, the live shows because, uh, you know, again, as we've talked about across different episodes, not everybody necessarily knows what they're going to get uh, when sure. they see him live. And then it can be a little jarring. You're like, wow, this doesn't sound anything like what I'm expecting. And he's not talking to the audience. And whatever, but I'm glad right. that you, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, they're not getting any cheaper to attend, so it really is a gamble. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I saw him after Chicago. I saw him, oh, let me think, maybe two or three times at the Royal Albert Hall in London, mm. which is a pretty spectacular venue. Um, and then where I live, in Maidstone in Kent, which is right in the southeast of England, about an hour, an hour and a half uh, from London, there's a tiny hop farm. And he played in uh, 2012, out of the blue, at this small hop farm. <laughs> there was uh, C6 Steve playing. Um, 
Van Morrison again and uh, Bob Dylan. And there was only a couple thousand people there. It was bizarre. And that was a great concert. Um, there was a real synergy between, between, uh, between the crowd and him. Um, he mumbled his way through quite a lot. <laughs> I remember a drunk guy next <laughs> A drunk guy next to me sort of singing and swaying. And I thought, oh, at least he knows what's going on. And he turned to me and he went, oh, my God, it's Quinn the Eskimo. And I thought he, he didn't know. He didn't know it was Quinn the Eskimo. But people were just so wrapped up in the fact that it wasn't London. It was some obscure farm in, uh, in the countryside. So that, that's a memory that stays with me. And then most recently I saw him um, taking it full circle, actually. My mum bought me... Um, a Christmas present to see him in 2019 in Hyde Park. And he followed Neil Young. Um, and that was probably at 80 years old. Uh, no, 79, wasn't he? probably the, the best I've seen him. Um, he was playful. He was fun. He toyed a bit with the audience. He did his poses, the old hand on the hip and tipping of the hat. <laughs> um, he, was, he was on great form. You know, he was, he was really having fun up there. That's great. What did your mom think? My mom was probably too emotional from seeing Neil Young. I mean, that's her number one. She's uh, pr- probably the only man in the world she'd, she'd leave her, her partner and kids for. She, she's a huge, huge Neil Young. <laughs> and she's admitted that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never quite got the, got the obsession, but she was, uh, she was hyper-emotional on, on seeing Neil on stage. Oh, that's really sweet. That's wonderful. I, I got to wind back a little bit to something you said that you were at a concert where he sang mighty, the mighty Quinn. Yeah. That, that has only been done live six times. Right. And yeah. you were at one of them. That's right. Huh? <laughs> I know. That's amazing. I was like, as soon as you said that, I'm like, does he do that? So I've never heard him do that. And I just looked it up here. He's done it in 1969, four times and five times in 2002 and once in 2003. And that's it. That was it, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it's kind of strange when that happens, and especially when you, you know, because if, if it's an obscure song and you're trying to, it's hard to understand some of them at the best of times. <laughs> um, these more obscure ones, and this guy turning to me going, oh, my God, <laughs> this is it. And you think, oh, yeah, okay, I got that, just about. But um, this is one of the things, actually, with the 19 performance. It was so clear. Yeah, he was just on form. I don't know what it was. Maybe the the setup, the sound was better than normal. Um, probably not because it was in the open field, but it was terrific. Um, and that's really, really just prepped me for for whatever's coming next. Um, I can't wait to to get back and see him again. Oh yeah. Well, we said we'll, we'll of course we'll we'll be talking about that again at the end of the show. So well, that's right. That's great. I mean, good good job on your mom. She introduced yeah. that to you. That's she was really pretty open minded that she would play Hurricane for you, which is like one of like the three Bob Dylan songs that have curse words in it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, she she clearly saw my maturity at that young age. So Exactly. She, uh, yeah. You know, one of the fa- one of the, her favorite things to do, um, if if we get time together is, you know, we haven't done it for a long time, but we'll open a bottle of wine and just watch the last waltz. Oh. Um, that's one of her favorite things to do. So I also thank her for that. That's marvelous. That's great. I, I, that's a that's a really marvelous story. Um, so, all right. Well, let's let's talk about Angelina uh, again. This was a song mm. recorded. Uh, one of the like nine thousand songs recorded during right. the Shot of Love sessions. I mean, there were so many songs recorded around this time that they weren't. And, and in bootleg form, they tend to be all lumped in as 
you know, these were recorded for the shot of love sessions, which is not exactly right. Bob at this huh? point was recording kind of when the mood struck him and some songs were never going to make it onto a record and others, you know, others. Yes. But Angelina apparently got relatively close um, for years. Uh, of course, Bob Dylan fans only knew of, or at least I did the one version off of the bootleg series, uh, the first bootleg exactly. series. Yeah. And that was the version that I was familiar with. And I liked the song quite a bit. And again, we'll talk about it, but now Thanks to the Springtime in New York bootleg series, we now know there was another whole version done. So there's yeah. at least two, and God knows who, you know, they'll probably do another bootleg series 10 years from now, and we'll find another version or something. But for right now, these are the two that we know. And again, we'll get into the lyrics, but I, I want to ask you, David, like, why why this song? Why do you want to talk about this one? Um, I guess when I had played, you know, the favorite albums over and over and over, there came a point when I... And I was reluctant to do this. I don't know why, just because they were maybe strange songs, but I was reluctant to move over to the bootlegs. So when I did, eventually, it was the kind of stuff I'd have on in the background if I was doing chores and housework and getting on with stuff. I wouldn't study the songs and the lyrics like I had previously. Um, and this song came on, um, and I think it was towards the end of the bootleg. And I remember, I remember certain words popping out and it became very visceral, you know, snake, um, hyena, <laughs> uh, God, dead. Um, these words really jumped out, things like pieces of men marching. And I thought, wow, okay. And, and you know, it just made me sort of stop in my tracks and pay attention. And then towards the end of the song, when it becomes, um, becomes very climactic, it sort of builds up. And I looked up, it was Jim Kel- Keltner on the drums, you know, really beating down. And I like how the song just builds and builds up. And again, with my original introduction to him, to Desire, I went back and uh, and looked at the lyrics. Um, try, I, I tried to kind of stay away from the sort of born again stuff. Um, you know, Joker Man has always been one of my favourite songs, but a lot of that era just never really, you know, struck me for whatever reason. But Angelina did. And as with a lot of Dylan, when I actually studied it, looked at the lyrics, read through them, I just became even more impressed. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, well, it's a, let me quote a little bit more of the lyrics uh, from the song. Uh, the refrain is, of course, he sings, oh, Angelina, Angelina. And you hear the backup singers sort of singing along with him. And then he moves on. His eyes were two slits that would make a snake proud with a face that any painter would paint as he walked through the crowd, worshiping a god with the body of a woman well endowed and the head of a hyena. Do I need your permission to turn the other cheek? If you can read my mind, why must I speak? No, I've heard nothing about the man that you seek, Angelina. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing when I first heard this on the Bootleg series. First of all, the Bootleg series really calls a lot of material from that Infidel's Shot of Love period. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, Foot, Foot of Pride and Blind Willie McTell. I mean, uh, it, there was no way um, that you can't uh, need to recontextualize his 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 work during that time hearing those songs you're like my lord this these are he's got three or four masterpieces that he just left behind uh all all during the same time all around the 81 82 83 period it's amazing it's weird i mean it suggests to me that at the time i guess he wasn't such a big a fan otherwise maybe it would have been on shot of love um and again looking on bobdylan.com which you know you take with a pinch of salt um (laughs) But it says that, you know, it's never been played in concert. I don't know. Maybe 
I know he's got a lot to choose from, obviously. Um, but it's not one you hear come up very often, despite it being, <laughs> well, I think a really terrific song. Um, and then a couple of months ago on the TV, I caught um, Marston Anonymous. And I was watching that. And towards the end credits, there's the instrumental right. Evangelina. Right. Um, and of course, I can only figure that Dylan was obviously responsible for, <laughs> for all the music. So clearly he wanted that to be part of it, which suggests to me that maybe he does hold a bit of a light for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, some songs clearly have been uh, recorded and then just forgotten. But yeah, by the fact that it showed up, and I had that, yeah, I had that here in my notes too, that it showed up in Mass and Anonymous in some form. He's got to have some fondness for it or memory of it, as opposed to other songs that just get, you know, forgotten and never returned to. Uh, they, apparently at the time, uh, I found this in one of the books about, I think it's uh, Clinton Halen's The Recording Sessions, uh, where he talks about Angelina and apparently there Dylan was given, uh, gave some interview around the time and was asked about Angelina. And again, by some reporter who obviously had the access to the bootlegs. And um, he said something about that. He just didn't think that it fit on shot of love. And ah, okay. we've talked on other episodes where, I mean, I have my opinions about how records should be made, but what the hell do I know? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the one making them, but to me, it's like you, I always think pull the, just put the best songs on there and that that's the record. Don't worry about making it fit into a, some sort of preconceived notion. But again, it's Bob's the one with his name on it. So he's going to do it the way he's going to do it. At that, that said, the version that I had only heard for many years, the, the original one, I can't really hear it on Shot of Love. I can't picture it on that record. Now, it probably would have been fine anyway. But... Uh, Ironically enough, the one that's on Springtime in New York, the more band version, I actually think that would have fit on Shot of Love. And for some reason, the sound of it feels more Shot of Love-ish, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Did you get that read when you listened to the, 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 yeah, new, I the newer version? Agree. Yeah, I, particularly what you say about the sound. Lyrically, it's almost a different song. <laughs> um, I actually went through it. I printed off the lyrics and went through it today. Hmm. And... As with Dylan, as we know, he, he likes to, to keep you on your feet and he really mixes up the words and lyrics here um, to the point where the meaning behind a lot of the song changes significantly. Um, his eyes were two slits. He sings in Springtime in New York as her eyes. You know, so it's he to her. Mm -hmm. he, he, you know, um, he says, um, instead of as he walked through the crowd, as she was wailing on down, praising the dead as she rode a donkey through the crowd, or was it a hyena instead of the, the head of a hyena? And visually, I always um, imagined this person with the head of a hyena. Right. You know, and created this kind of strange beast within my mind. Now it's, or was she was riding a donkey, or was it a hyena? Wow, that completely changes it for me. Yeah, that's those are yes, the, the, those two lines are yeah, that's completely different. Yeah. And when he references um, maybe down in Jerusalem or Argentina, he says not maybe. He says in Jerusalem, removing all doubt in Jerusalem. There's one at the very bottom I've got down here in the final stanza, begging God for mercy and weeping in unholy places, which I love. That's great. He he. he he shoehorns in, begging God for mercy and weeping and moaning 
<laughs> in unholy places <laughs> and moaning. Like it's important for him to get that in. Yeah. <laughs> Weeping's not enough. She's moaning. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I heard that. For, for many years, I thought um, I really had a kind of an understanding of the song. I listened to the, the one version of it. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks, you know, weeks ago, Springtime in New York comes out. And I think, wow, maybe I didn't know this song at all. Well, that's okay. So what in your mind, because I will say I have always had... I was like trouble understanding this song. Cause I think it's not like I'm sitting here trying to like, you know, with the jewelers loop out, trying to like pull it apart and understand it. I've, I always found that the song um, has a bunch of incredibly evocative phrases that really jump out at you. Um, yes. I don't feel as though the song for me comes to some sort of conclusive whole that I'm able oh. to say, that's what Angelina is about, but that's okay. It's fine. I, I sort of take it as, all right, there's this sort of mystery going on about this, the, the, the singer's interactions with this Angelina person who seems to be uh, almost preparing for the end of the world, preparing for the apocalypse kind of thing. And he's trying to maintain this relationship with Angelina, but there's all these complications as, as you know, understand them. But I've never been able to say in my head, oh, that's what this song is about. So in your mind, what, what does it all come up to, in, at least in your, in your mind? I think it's undeniably biblical. You know, the imagery is incredibly strong. I think with Dylan, it's not unusual that he'll introduce you to multiple characters. Hmm. Um, often there's a bit of confusion about who the narrator is. You know, when you do study the lyrics, I thought, oh, maybe it is the Bob Dylan we know. It's always been my nature, my right hand drawing back, while my left hand advances. Then it moves on to blood drying in my yellow hair. Well, that's not Bob Dylan. Hmm. So I'm thinking this is somebody else talking about somebody else, i.e. Angelina. Is it the same Angelina from Farewell Angelina? Hmm. I don't know. Could be the same woman. Maybe not. But that, the word and the name Angelina is pretty unusual, and I can't help but link it back to the other song. Then it goes heavy into, into the biblical references. There's one of my favourite bits, <laughs> and maybe this gives you some insight into who Bob Dylan is. He sings um, about the well-endowed woman, <laughs> which hmm. if you've seen any of, um, of Bob's paintings, you know he's quite fond of a, of a <laughs> curvy, voluptuous woman. <laughs> I have the book, the uh, Drawn Blank series, and I thought, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen one. You know, what's the name of it? I'll, I'll mention it to Rob. Flick through. There's several, <laughs> several uh, well-endowed women. Uh, and he says that here, you know, the body of a woman well-endowed and the head of a hyena. I think it, a lot of it's about permission. It's about maybe someone fighting to get into heaven. He doesn't say that per se, but this is, you know, that is this born again period. And it, you know, things like God, Jerusalem, there's the reference to, um, which is pretty, pretty strange reference here. I see pieces of men marching, trying to take heaven by force. You know, is this people breaking into heaven? Is this devils? Is this, are these mm. bad people going into heaven? Um, I can see the unknown rider. The rider, is that, is that the devil? Is that something dark and foreboding? I can see the pale white horse. Well, white usually is akin to good and heaven. I don't know. The conclusion, as you say, I never got to a conclusion. Um, if it didn't end on, oh, Angelina, 
I think there's a case to be argued that it kind of diverts from Angelina. It starts talking about somebody and then it really goes into this almost battle of the heavens. And I think that's why I like it. There's, a, there's, some, there's some aggression to this. There's, there's something quite, um, you know, beautifully crafted. I think the song is definitely beautifully crafted. But that climactic build towards the battle, towards the unknown rider, um, there's, a, there's a piece before the last uh, stanza comes in where he really accentuates the word arena. He makes arena last about 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, arena. Then the drums come in with a beat. And of course, the next word is beat. And there's this almost crescendo. Beat a path to retreat. It becomes aggressive, violent almost. Um, and I think I like that. You know, these, these songs that build and build and build. Yeah, but quite, quite what it's getting to. I don't know. Pe- people had... I looked up Michael Gray in the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia. You know, he said that, um, you know, there's this final climb, these melodic steps, uh, you know, walking up the spiral staircase. Um, And the spiral staircase is like Bob's voice that keeps ascending. Hmm. You know, the words and the melody are perfectly aligned until that last cathartic incarnation of the song itself. You know, this kind of bang, bang, bang. And then he, he goes back to, oh, Angelina, oh, Angelina, as if bring it down, as, as if that's a romantic statement, as if he's singing this song to, to her, this unnamed Angelina. So it takes so many different directions. It's not a romantic song, neither is it particularly religious, but it's just completely littered with, um, you know, directive language that really makes the listener form these images in their mind. Um, I guess that's why it stuck to me. Um, but if you were to ask me what it's about in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, good well, luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Better yeah. people than me have tried, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Uh, a, a, I don't want to say it's not a theme, a structure that I think Dylan follows a lot in, in, num- in a number of his songs is, as you, as you talk about how it starts off as a relationship and then it widens out to some sort of greater battle taking place uh, further off and the uh, you know initially it's the relationship is forefront in the narrator's mind and then whatever battle is taking place invades on that i feel like that's yeah. that that happens in the groom still waiting at the altar i mm. think it happens a little bit in caribbean wind and these are all from songs from around that same period of time but that kind of thing of like i'm only concerned with the relationship that i'm in yes i see the the, the conflict whatever the conflict is outside my window, but I'm not worried about that right now. And then the conflict spills over to the point where you can't ignore it anymore. I feel yeah. like that's something that Dylan returns to a lot. And I, again, I can sort of imagine thematically saying, does this song and Groom Still Waiting on the Altar on the same record, is that kind of the same sort of thing? Uh, you know, in the, in the same two songs, I mean, obviously you sounding very different, but the same kind of concerns. And I could see where my view would say, well, maybe they don't need to be on, the record at the same time. And of course, Groom Still Waiting at the Altar wasn't on the record initially anyway and only got added afterwards. And I I mean, personally, I think this is a better song. I've listened to it much more, so perhaps I would say that. But I think you you worded that terrifically. You, you, you're right. Um, but I do get the impression that initially he is talking to, to Angelina. He says, you yeah. know, do I need your permission, your yeah. permission to turn the other cheek? And there's that great sight. So much of this, I find, is quite relatable. 
that line, your best friend and my worst enemy is one and the same. Oh, I love that. I've been there. I've been there, Bob. Yes. Your girlfriend's best friend. Yeah, great. But that's a, that's a tricky one. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's Um, when I first heard the song, uh, I was, I was still uh, smarting from a relationship and there was a lot of the, uncertainty in the narrator that I found to be very relatable. I mean, even the second line, my right hand drawing back when my left hand advances, you know, Mm. this idea of conflicting thoughts going on at the same time is that you're moving forward towards one thing, but yet you're retreating on the other. Uh, That, that, and and yeah, that line about, um, yeah, your best friend to my worst enemy, your best friend, worst enemy is one in the same. The idea, again, the duality of it, I thought was marvelous. And Dylan's vocal uh, is great. It's really crystal Absolutely. clear and he's mm-hmm. really kind of leaning into the phrases and it's they're incredibly powerful it really is and it's actually you know it's actually a song full of uncertainty this is someone that's asking questions you know do i go back do i go forward do i need your permission um you know i can't read your mind you know must i speak question mark there's a lot of uncertainty here then it moves into the darker the battle the more religious imagery which which is fantastic and you 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 mentioned you mentioned his voice i'll go back to you know his presentation of the word arena which he hangs on to for any and i think it's great that kind of melodic wobble he had that no no one else could do do it like he does i think it's terrific i think um this is some of his best delivery yeah oh absolutely the 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 other line in the in that that verse that we were just talking about is when he says, I've tried my best to love you, but I cannot play this game. And I just it really, it breaks my heart every time he delivers that line where he just says, I've tried my best to love you. And the way he sings it is just to me heartbreaking. It, it, it's yeah. this sort of plaintive. I, I did my best, but I cannot do this to myself. Uh, yeah. that, that to me is just incredibly powerful. And it was sort of funny a couple of weeks ago after we decided to do this, I was listening to the two Angelinas back to back, uh, in the morning. And right as I was listening to them, uh, my fiance came out and, uh, came out from the other room and, and she's not familiar with these songs and she listened to, uh, the song. And then after it was over, she just kind of quietly said, she goes, Bob's really met a lot of hippie chicks in his life, hasn't he? <laughs> that made me yeah. laugh really hard. Cause I was like, the impression yeah, was yeah. That's kind of what Angelina is. <laughs> yeah. Sort of I think so. <laughs> I think it is reflective song. I'm, I, you know, maybe they're what, maybe it's an interchangeable name. Maybe it's specifically an Angelina, but I imagine it is some hippie chick um, <laughs> that he thought he loved at the time. And, you know, had the misfortune of meeting her best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- okay. Now, all right. Now, interesting that that the, your best friend and my worst enemy is one and the same. You took that as referring to Angelina's best friend, like her literal best friend. Is that how you read it? Uh, personally, I did. Yeah. Um, maybe I was just comparing it to my own experiences, mm-hmm. um, where you know the best friend of of a girl is always cautious and apprehensive of the new guy on the scene um oh, okay and there's that kind of three-way confusion about yeah i love her well i love her too well i'm protective well i am too um that's how i read it yeah oh well, okay but i mean obviously triumvirates are huge in bob songs uh, all the way going back from the early 60s that's interesting mm-hmm. i always took it 
as when he says your best friend and my worst enemy is one and the same, he's talking about himself. Uh, ah, he's okay, saying, he's saying Angelina's bet your, I'm your best friend. They're in a relationship and the version of me that is with you is the version of myself. I don't like. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I always took it as your best, the, the, you know, you're with me and I'm with you, but I don't like that version of me. And, and some of us have probably experienced that where you, you change how you are around certain people and right, yeah. you, you make changes in yourself to, to be with someone and you kind of look back and you say, I don't, I don't like that person. I don't like that person I've become with this other person. So that's always how I took it is that he's talking again. He's talking about himself. Your best friend of my worst enemy is one of the same. But again, I love it that Bob can, with one line, <laughs> one line, deliver two such divergent yeah. ideas as to what it could be about. And both, of course, work completely within the context of the song. Yeah, I mean, your description and me now rereading the line, I see that. <laughs> but prior to that, it it never came into my mind that that could have been taken from it. Um, but you know, it it you know, like so good songs and movies, so much of it is what you bring to it, right? And when when you bring to it, you know, my my approach to this song, my understanding of this song is different probably than what it was fifteen years ago. I bring more to it, more life experience, more loves and losses now. Um, so perhaps my reading of it is a lot different. That's again, that's another amazing thing about the art is that it it travels with you as you get older and as you pick up life experiences, there's stuff that didn't make sense or didn't resonate in a certain way. And then as you get older, you go, oh, wow. Now I get, I think, I think the term I've been using is landmines, which is a terrible term. I should come up with a better, <laughs> better right. term. Landmines are terrible things. But just this thing that you hear at a young age and you just, I mean, would imagine this is probably what happened to you when you heard Hurricane and Joey and romance in yeah. Durango for the first time as a kid you're not understanding probably half of the references or some of the inferences and then you get older and you go oh oh mm-hmm. I see what that means yeah these are much darker than I originally yeah, thought yeah <laughs> yeah Black Island Bay that sounds like a fun little song and then you get older yeah it's oh, quite a jaunty little number oh yeah. everyone dies fine okay <laughs> everybody's dead at the end of it yeah um, actually I, I tell you just a memory going back to that Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts was a song that probably impressed me most at that time. Um, it's just popped into my head because that with reading the lyrics of that, that was a, I'd never heard anything like that ever. That's one I struggle with now, but at the time I was really blown away by. <laughs> I, it's, I have found over time that um, they all, the, the songs either when I, they, they stay in place when I first heard them and they're as good as I remember them, or they get better. There are very few songs I've heard of Bob's that I've liked and now don't like. They, that wow. almost never, almost ever goes in that direction. You know, mm. There are some songs, again, we've talked about, joke about with Joey and some other songs that I'm not as big on, but very rarely do they ever get worse. That's not true of movies. I've seen lots of movies that I loved as a teenager or a young adult, and I watch them now and I go, oh, that, yeah, eh, all right. Yeah, that resonated with me when I was 27, but now... Mm, that, I, mm-hmm. I see some problems with it. I don't have, but Dylan songs almost just invariably get better with yeah. age. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I did have a bit of a tough time a couple of weeks ago when I first listened to springtime in New York and Angelina was track one. I thought, what? I thought, God, I thought I, I really thought I was the only one that knew about this song. 
no one really <laughs> talks about it. I mention it to to other Bobcats, and some of them say, "Oh yeah, farewell, Angelina." I say, "No, no, 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 yeah, Angelina," and they go, "Huh?" Um, so to see that it was, you know, the first song on the new bootleg, I thought, "Wow, okay, this is good. Let's go." And then it's it's pretty different. I mean, musically, I think it's more interesting. Lyrically, he mixes it up, but it, it kind of is a different song. It didn't make me love it less, but I definitely prefer the original, the original bootleg version. What is it about the that version over the springtime? I, I am the same way. I, I, like I said earlier, I think that the springtime in New York one, I could see fitting on Shot of Love better than the one on Bootleg Series Volume 1 to 3, but I, I just prefer the the quote-unquote original version, I feel like it's less ramshackle. I feel like uh-huh. his vo- vocal is a little stronger. And I also really like the way that the backup singers sort of harmonize at the end where they just say, oh, Angelina, and it ends, it ends with them. It has a beautifully kind of orchestral sound that I, I just think is gorgeous. I agree. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a lot smoother recording-wise. His voice is clearer. Um, I'm looking at it poetically, if you're reading the lyrics of Friday Along, you can see you can see how he's moving around you know you can see um certain words he's punctuating and accentuating the words whereas the more recent release on springtime in new york it's there's almost it's like there are too many words in his mouth he's shoehorning (laughs) in you know someone said that didn't they about him once like he was singing with gravel in his mouth but it's 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 if he's shoehorning in and experimenting that this wasn't the recording that was ever meant to see the light of day but hey years have passed it's bootleg we'll put it on there but i kind of feel like it was more experimental had they have come out the other way around perhaps it would have made more sense they would have finessed it it seems a little bit messy to me the springtime version Mm -hmm. if i'm being honest Mm -hmm. um the first bootleg it just it just sounds and runs a lot smoother in my opinion it's remarkable how much he I, I guess really needs to retain an emotional connection to any given song. And if it, if he loses that uh, it gets dropped forever. Uh, I mean, there have been a handful of examples where he has recorded a song for an album. Didn't in his mind, I guess, didn't get it right. And then saved it for another album. Uh, there's Mississippi was originally done for time out of mind and shows up on love and theft, Mr. Tambourine man, which we just talked about. Uh, was done for another side and then shows up on bringing it all back home. And then even on springtime for New York, you've got the infidels version of clean cut kid, which shows up on empire burlesque, but it's still relatively rare. And it yeah. seems amazing to me that these two performances, again, there might even be more out there, who knows, but these two that we know of Evangelina that he never saw fit to return to it uh, on in for infidels or for down in the groove or for anything like to just, forget it so completely and put it aside and just you know leave it in the leave it in the closet uh just seems amazing to me because i can't imagine after he recorded it and after the performance he didn't realize boy that was you know maybe it's not the thing i wanted but boy it's it's really pretty powerful and it's it deserved a better fate than just being again left on the shelf until the bootleg series i agree i mean there's so i mean there, there is just so much to choose from, isn't there? And some I can understand that he wants to turn his back on and, you know, it's just, he's moved on and I get that. But this is one that I struggle to see, to see why he left this for, for so long, continues to leave it. I, I, 
I, I, I don't really understand. And, you know, and, and even things like Joker Man as well from the similar period, I think, God, these, these are two, in my opinion, maybe the top 10, top 15 of, ever of his songs. Um, although Ask Me Tomorrow and that top 15 would have changed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was listening to Neighbourhood Bully earlier and I thought, oh, yeah, I found myself tapping along to that. But, um, but yeah, I just... I don't know. I mean, who who will ever know? We'll, we'll constantly be going around in circles with what goes on in in, in Bob's mind. Um, <laughs> but it baffles me that this really isn't um, one that he performs first, and second that it's one that is not more of a fan favorite. You know, that isn't discussed about more or mm. or seen online or requested. Because um, I really really believe it's up there. I do wonder if it's because it is so mysterious. It is so, at least again, for me, it is so confounding as to what exactly is going on that uh, maybe some people just find, again, the, the, the performance is beautiful, but it's just probably harder to like, what, what is going on with that one? Like I just, yeah, okay. You lost, know? Yeah. It's a lost narrative. I mean, it goes in so many different directions, um, particularly if you're reading the lyrics and studying it, you're pulled, you're thinking, okay, who's the narrator now? Who's he talking to? About what? Why? Oh, right now we're in heaven. Now there's a battle. <laughs> what? What's happening here? Oh, it's over. <laughs> right. Imagine the band on stage singing along with him, thinking, "What on earth is? What on earth's going? Where was he when he was writing this?" Yeah, yeah. Oh, I always I, there's there would be a whole. Uh, I mean, after Bob passes from uh from from this mortal coil which, don't say it rob don't say it i know i know i know it's, no. all, it's it's all it's inevitable for all of us hopefully that will not be for a very very long time we can you know technology will come that we can just get bob's head in a jar or something like in future yeah i'll chip but, in for that we'll yeah but i would love to read books by people that he's recorded with again not for tell-all you know gossip i don't care about that but just what is it like to get these lyrics handed to you and then say, like say to a Jim Keltner, who obviously one of the most, you know, a consummate professional and has played mm. with Bob for decades, but like to be handed these lyrics and then say, all right, figure out a drum part for this. Yeah. And you gotta be like, well, I see pieces of men marching and what a tree of smoke past the angel with four. I mean, I wonder, do you, as a musician, do you consider that? Or do you just kind of put that out of your head and say, well, it almost doesn't matter what the words are. I'm just trying to figure out a piece for this. That's going to work for, for the song. But I mean, some of it's just got to be so confounding when he hands you this stuff and you're like, what? Yeah. How they get from lyrics written on, you know, the back of a cigarette pack to this. Yeah. That's one thing, you know, but to put music to it, I I can't imagine how, and, and you see it, you see a word like arena and you think, okay, okay, I'm going to do my drums. Okay. And then Dylan sings, arena and you're thinking what huh yeah what, how do i do this and i guess it's just why he people stay with him for so long he he begs them to stay he can't it must be it, it i mean it's a sign of how good they are as as one musicians and two consummate professionals um to be able to stick with him they just move with the direction he wants to go on stage who, who knows if he's gonna shoehorn in extra lyrics if the melody's gonna change um you know, or, or leave whole whole paragraphs out sometimes. But um, you know, he he's always had such terrific people around him, um, and that's part of his allure, I think. Oh, absolutely! I think I many years ago I read. I think it was Bucky Baxter from his band who said that right? when working with him, he said, "When you get it right, uh, there is no greater 
uh, there's no greater moment feeling when he gives you the look and gives you like a thumbs up that you got it right. Uh, and then, can you but, imagine? But, but then he said, but conversely, he said, there's nothing worse. He says that yeah. when you screw it up and he goes, Bob gives you this look of like, you suck so bad. And he goes, you just want to die at that point. Yeah. So. I wonder what the count ups are between the good and the bad looks. But, um, <laughs> but can you imagine the good look? I mean, how would that feel? You grow, cause they're all younger than him, but you're growing yep. up with this guy and you know, you put him on a pedestal, you can't do anything other than that. But, but to be on stage is one thing to, talk to him i don't know if they hang out at dinner or on the bus i don't know but <laughs> like what would you say yeah i don't know what you talk about yeah oh again i when i when i read that quote from again from bucky baxter i think about the time uh we're getting off of angelina a little bit i can't help it i mean the, like the song itself the show goes down different alleys but the, when he did the letterman appearance in 1993 to promote world gone wrong and he ends up singing forever young which again how that promotes world gone wrong i don't know but uh, on that song, you've got Paul Schaefer, who, of course, was part of Letterman's house band, playing keyboards. And right as the song ends, as Letterman comes into the frame to, you know, people are applauding and Letterman comes in to say, you know, thanks for coming, Bob. Before, uh, and Letterman extends his hand. And before Bob shakes his hand, he makes a very, very pronounced gesture of pointing at Paul Schaefer and like winks at him. And uh-huh. it's just kind of like, yeah, like that kind of thing. And it's very, very, and I thought that's got to just be, again, even for someone with Paul Schaefer, who's worked with so many people and has been a professional for, you know, 50 years, that has got to be just the best feeling in the world to have Bob Dylan take oh, that moment cool. to be like, you did great, man. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That's, and I know the recording you're talking about, but I, I don't think I've, I've picked up on that. So that's, uh, and that's an insight into maybe the real Dylan. I mean, have we ever seen him? Probably not. You know, he wears many masks, he says himself. Mm-hmm. But there is this, he's running the risk of sort of becoming this, you know, caricature of himself. And that, that worries me, you know, he's easy to mock sometimes. But this is a guy that's, re- you know, he's, he's led numerous lives. Oh, um, yeah. And perhaps, perhaps, you know, that's something he's, he's trying to say in Angelina. You know, it starts off about me, him, and then about her and him and God, maybe he's, you know, the battle, you know, God's angels, you know, the, um, in God's truth, it's almost, he's saying in desperation, maybe this is Dylan's battle with religion. I, I do love the line. We did, again, we, we haven't talked about the, 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 the later uh, verses as much, but like the line about there's a black Mercedes rolling through the combat zone. Uh, I, again, I don't really know what it means. I don't know what it means to me, but I, it conjures up a beautiful image of not beautiful, a potent image, I should say of kind of like a a rich person, a a person who is uh, trying to keep themselves sheltered from the war around them. Uh, I just think that's a, that's an incredibly powerful image. It makes me think of uh, again, this is the way your, your mind goes, but like in, in the Godfather part two, when Michael Corleone is doing business down in Cuba and he's being chauffeured around and he's seeing like literally soldiers like setting off grenades against government agents and stuff. And he's just yeah. sort of watching this from the protected, you know, behind this, this glass of this beautiful limo. And yet he's watching. And I just, I love that image of a black Mercedes rolling through a combat zone of someone who is trying again to keep themselves from the fight that's going yeah. on around them, but it's going to leak in eventually and you can't avoid it. Yeah. They have the privacy and the security of their, of their car. But then the next line is your servants are half dead. Mm-hmm. 
you're down to the bones, so they're not escaping everything. Yes. They're, yeah. they're impacted by this combat zone and what's going on around them. The fact you've got servants is one thing, but they're also half dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then tell me, tall man. Tall man, yeah. Tall man. Where would you like to be overthrown? It's going to happen. This is impending. You're going to be overthrown. Jerusalem, okay, I can kind of understand that. Or Argentina. Argentina, I've been thinking about this. I, I don't know why, why that's there. Jerusalem, I suppose you can make biblical links. You can talk about the combat zone there. You could talk about what's with Palestine, maybe Argentina. <laughs> Not sure. Maybe it's his joke. <laughs> and, then it, and then it moves incredibly strange in another direction. She, is this Angelina? I don't know. She right, yeah. Well, who are we talking mother. about now? Yeah. Yeah. When she was three days old. And you think, oh, wow. Now her vengeance, okay, now we're back onto something dark. Her vengeance has been satisfied and her possessions have been sold. He, okay, we're on her now to he. <laughs> He's surrounded by God's angels. Well, c- can you get more protective than God's angels? And she's wearing a blindfold. Oh, it's not her because, and so are you. And so actually. are you, yeah. <laughs> so there's another woman. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Bob himself doesn't, you know, try to piece it together. He, he's probably scratching his head as much as everyone else. That would not surprise me. It sounded yeah, he, right at the time. Right. He's talked about how phrases come to his head and he jots it down and it, he, it doesn't have a literal sense, but it just, it's like, that's what came to him. So I'm putting it down. Does it fit the song? Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. I've seen other songwriters talk about that. Like the day we're recording this, it is Paul Simon's birthday. And uh, Paul Simon. That's right, 80, yeah. Yeah. And Paul Simon, um, back when he did a, a bunch of episodes of the, uh, the later show with Bob Costas on NBC, talked about songwriting. And he talked about the song, The Obvious Child. And he's, there's a line in that song called The Crosses in the Ballpark. And mm-hmm. he said when he first, that line just popped into his head, he didn't know what it meant. He just was like, that's an interesting collection of words and he put it in the song now later on great line huh yeah later on he developed a a personal meaning to what that phrase is and then it was funny because even the host bob costas said well it always meant this to me and paul simon was like i I, that part didn't even occur to me that works (laughs) you know and i love that i love that process in the end you're seeing it live sort of the discovery of the artist saying i don't know what it meant i just put it down and it seemed to fit you yeah right what does it mean to you yeah it's perfect so yeah, this song, no matter how many times I listen to it, I don't, I'm not any closer to figuring out what it is to me than it was when I started, when I first heard it, you know, 30 years ago at this point. But I still find it incredibly captivating. I listened to both versions again just this morning before this, and it's, it's still, it, for as, as threatening as the song is with all this implied violence and darkness, and again, the Pale Rider talking about the apocalypse, it feels there's a warmth to it uh, that I find very captivating and very kind of like you can like luxuriate in it. It's a long song that doesn't, I've said this before too, a lot of his songs, it's a long song that doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel like it's six minutes minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I think you've worded it really well there. I I do believe that it probably started the fact it was called Angelina. I think there's some romance there. He's questioning his actions, his next steps. Um, Oh, Angelina. I don't think that's aggressive. I think he means, oh, he's pining for Angelina. But then, yeah, then, then it just gets so visceral with the violence and the darkness and the battles in heavens. And I think maybe he just went where his pen, 
Penn sent him. Um, but but I do believe this started as some as one thing and ended as another. Um, <laughs> to the betterment of it, I think it works. Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, that's the nature of following your muse, you know, and mm. just not not being. Uh, not uh, expecting the muse to take you somewhere and just saying, all right, where do I go? Where am we going? That's where right. are we going here? And, he, and Bob's had many muses. And a lot of muses, a lot of muses over the years. So, well, all right, uh, David, uh, I mean, we could go on and on about Angelina because there's just so much more to dig into the song, but I think we should stop here. Uh, again, it's a, it's a remarkable song. Uh, it's a very, very powerful song. I'm glad that it finally has been aired on a couple of bootleg series. Uh, we, again, we never know. There might even be more versions out there and it's until... You know, like Springtime in New York Part 2 comes out in 10 years from now. And it's like, oh, there's seven more versions of Angelina with a band and stuff. You know, you never know. Uh, I don't doubt it, yeah. <laughs> no. But uh, thank you so much for, for coming by and talking about Angelina with me. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, yep. So I'm uh, across everything. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's David J, the initial J, Constable. David J. Constable. All right. Fair enough. Now, uh, the last thing I got to ask you before we wrap up here, of course, is Bob is coming out on tour again. We all know that. We're all excited. I've got my tickets. I'm very excited. Good, good. I am. I, I am just, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for it to get here. And by the way, I should say in between since buying the tickets and today, I went and saw a concert at the hall that we're seeing him in. I've never been to this place before. And it's a great hall. So Wait, I am where's look- that then? It's called the Met in Philadelphia, and uh, okay. it's, it's a nice small hall. And I am really excited to see Bob there because it's it's in this kind of intimate place. So that ought to be uh, really fantastic. So, uh, oh, you got to report back on that. Oh, absolutely, oh, absolutely. So, okay, David, Bob is. Uh, let's say he's, he's going to start the the uh, the British part, the UK part of his tour, and he's like, David, what song do you want to hear me start the show with? You're going to be at X date. What song do you want to hear? It is, this is this is hard. This is hard. <laughs> I've changed my mind so many times. I mean, naturally, I lean to Angelina, but him opening, playing live, nah, not so much. There's so many. Joke Man, I love. Tangled Up in Blue, I love. Um, obscure ones. Ballad in Plain D, I love. But I went down a Bob Rabbit hole today on YouTube and a great video and a great song. I think if he opened with Thunder on the Mountain, I'd be more than happy. Um, I think Thunder on the Mountain's brilliant. I think, and I think it would make a real great opener. Fair enough. That is, it's a marvelous song. It's just a marvelous song. The, the guitar at the beginning is brilliant. And the gruffness in his voice, um, I'd be more than happy to, to hear that. And then I would thank him very much for approaching me and talking. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it, Bob. I appreciate you uh, asking my opinion Thanks, on Bob. This. I didn't know you knew me, but you know, wow. <laughs> ah, I heard you on the show. I really enjoy it. That's my yeah, awful Bob Dylan impression. It's good. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, good choice. Think, good choice. Yeah, thank you very much. That's that's uh, I always think just a quick one that there's that family guy. Have you seen where Bob Dylan meets Tom Waits backstage? No, I've not seen that. Oh, you've got to Google it. It's only a couple of seconds, but it's uh it's quite brilliant. Okay. <laughs> interesting all right i'll check it out so uh that's going to do it everybody thanks so much for listening of course you can find back episodes of the show on our website findwaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice and then finally if you want to support the find water podcast network just go to patreon.com slash fw podcast there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice 
So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, and Joaquin Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. That is going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you later. Bye. The name of the new album is Shot of Love. It's different than the last. It's different than Saved, and it's different than Slow Train. Well, it sounds old, but it's new.